This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right. So, yeah, Julie can hear it. So now you're going to watch, like before, you're going to watch the, the chatty chat, right? I'm going to do my best to uh, participate in two conversations at the same time. Okay. All right. And then I'm going to, I'm going to try and process the list of notes that we have for this, uh, um, podcast slash live YouTube thing. So what we do is we take the audio from this and put it into our podcast junk. Um, and, uh, so I'll, I'll do my best to be the person going through the notes and reading the actual chapter. Unless you're, you're feeling like you, do you want, a, you want, it's your turn to read? I don't know. I don't know, Paul. You're so good at it. It's, <laughs> I, I enjoy reading, but. Okay. Yeah, All you're right. Especially good at it. If you want to hand it off, I'm totally down to do it. But uh, I think people enjoy listening to your voice. <laughs> I think some people enjoy listening to your voice. You know, it's funny. I uh, um, before I ever started recording podcasts, there were a bunch of people that wanted me to just simply turn on a microphone while I'm out in the garden or something, and um, <laughs> uh, they heard my voices from some of my YouTube videos. They they said, "Oh no, I could listen to that all day," and it's like. Okay. And then uh, after we started doing it, we started getting this feedback from people that were like, that my voice sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard. And so I kind of felt like if it's if my voice sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard to you, I got a great solution. Stop listening. Just yeah. Hit the off button. I mean, just be done. Uh, so and then apparently there's still people that think it sounds great. So it's kind of like, leave it. For those people. Then people are like, oh, you're so rambly. I can't, I can't stand to listen to it. Great. Just turn <laughs> it off. Man, there's so many podcasts out there. Why do you gotta listen to this one? Now, I, I do feel like the content that I share in my podcast is, um, for an extremely small group. So like maybe only 2% of the people that, that love permaculture would be into my podcast. And so I, I kind of think it's for like 12 people. Maybe it's gotten to be more than 12. I know that a lot of people download it, but I, I think that a lot of people have it on auto download or something. And, <laughs> and I don't know. And plus there's, I don't know how many people are like, Oh, I just love to hate this guy. <laughs> it's like, Surely you got some better to do than that. All right. Uh, oh, I can see lots of comments. Look at that. Here, here come the notes. Um, all right, I'm gonna get started here. Uh, oh, uh, we have, we did a podcast, uh, live recording YouTube thing, uh, like two days ago. It was two days ago, wasn't it? Tuesday? Yeah. And, um, there was uh, a note from there where it's like, oh, I should have said that during the podcast. And, uh, so the note is, I think we do a good job of pointing out that a vegan diet can be good for the environment, but it is far from best. Uh, and it's definitely not the best thing that you can do for the environment, let alone the best diet for the environment. Um, although after publishing that, we have gotten, uh, like not only did somebody in the chat kind of really go, like they were not only certain that a vegan diet was best for them, but they were very adamant that all other people absolutely must do a vegan diet. It's like, no, no, we're not doing that. So, I think that in that chapter we did a very good job of, of proving, um, and I, I'm going to use the word proving loosely, um, uh, that uh, there are that a garden-based diet, something where you're growing your own food, is vastly superior than anything that involves purchasing. And growing your own food is far better than the vegan diet from a grocery store or restaurant. Yeah. Okay. So that's our last note from the last podcast. We didn't say that exactly. Okay. Um, oh, and I see Uncle Mud is here. Oh, my. We have a yeah. celebrity. Yeah, he's um, asking for updates already. I, I just told him that's coming after we read the chapter. So. Yeah, so uh, Uncle Mud, Chris McClellan, he was here last fall 
uh, as we uh, overhauled Allerton Abbey. And it's kind of like, okay, we got to get in. We got to seal this thing. So we're going to peel back the roof and and seal it properly from above. Then we started to dig, and it's kind of like, man, this is a lot of work. We've, you know, I think I think uh, uh, the the people came down off the hill and they said uh, we've already dug down two feet and we haven't found it. It's like really, it should only like at that point, it should only be about eight inches thick. And uh, no, we're we're still digging two feet and still going. And so. Um, we we ended up peeling back all of the dirt off the top, and there was one part where it's like right in this general area where it was nine feet thick, <laughs> and it's like at no point should it ever be thicker than three feet thick, and that's with uh, both layers. Yeah, uh, nine feet is a that's a ridiculous amount of dirt. That is an insane amount, and we're going to talk about that later. So. So uh, uh, right now, of course, we've got the Kickstarter going on for the uh, Building a Better World in Your Backyard book. And um, uh, Chapter 30 of the book is all about Wafadi and natural building. And we're going to read the whole chapter in this podcast. That's our, our primary mission with this podcast. And when we're done, then we're going to talk about lessons learned. So we're going to get into the specifics of Wafadi stuff. But... As we read the chapter, we're going to stop every paragraph or two. We can talk about the stuff that we just talked about. Um, and people can uh, post questions and things of that nature. So, And, of course, it's good that Uncle Mud is here. He has a lot of experience with building, not only uh, working with this Wafati, but gobs of natural building things. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was one of the people who... Uh, uh, read a, a draft copy so we we sent the book out for each chapter where we dive into a particular topic we tried to get it out to at least two experts in the field for just that chapter and so uh, uncle mud is one of the natural building experts and so he'll be teaching our appropriate technology course here coming up soon and um, we're going to have a lot of the the pep one stuff a lot of the pep stuff is going to be worked into our atc this year but of course, I think a big part of our ATC is like, you know, innovation. Like, let's do some stuff that's, that's new and different. Um, and, uh, uh, all right. Okay. I'm going off into many, too many tangents all at once. Uh, let's, let's get a focus here on what we're going to talk about this time. Um, oh, uh, for people that are listening to the podcast or, or whatever, or, or I guess watching this later. I think if you're watching this on YouTube, I think I've provided a link already in the description and you can, yeah. you can click on that. But, um, I'm going to think there's a lot more people that are going to listen to this on the podcast. And if you want to be able to go to the Kickstarter, I, I found out that if you just go to Kickstarter and you search for my name, Paul Wheaton, that it comes up. Um, we also set up permies.com slash T slash BWB for better world book. Yep. Um, and so that's got the links to the Kickstarter there too. Um, but you know, it, yeah, when you're listening to a Kickstarter, you don't exactly have a link, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Uh, we are now into a phase where we are almost to our first stretch goal. I think we're just a couple hundred dollars away from our very first stretch goal. And that's something that applies to all of the levels, uh, that get one of the books. So $10 and up. Uh, and that's where Tracy is going to add a hundred doodles throughout the book. And so, um, either in the margins, uh, but, uh, between sections or wherever, all kinds of little places, little tiny doodles throughout the book, add it, making it a little bit more fun, I think, a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Gentle. So, um, I, I, I kind of wanted to do this before we wrote the book, before we started the Kickstarter, but it's kind of like, at that time, we didn't know if we were even going to get funded for what we had. And so um, I, I I wanted it to be the first stretch goal. And yeah. so, uh, oh, if, I mean, here in a few hours, we'll probably be there. Yeah. And so I got to say, we picked this stretch goal of $50,000. We picked this one because it seemed like it w- there was a bit of an if on whether or not we would reach it or not. Right. And, and so uh, we kind of thought, if everything goes as it's going, we don't do anything else, we, we probably won't hit 50,000. So 
the fact that we're hitting it shows that we've been working hard and reaching more people and infecting more brains and doing the things that you got to do for a Kickstarter. And yay, it's paying off. And so we're yeah. hitting 50,000. How exciting. 50,000. So we, we, we are officially just under $700 away from reaching our first stretch goal. And then the next stretch goal at 55,000. Now we had a lot of discussion about do we do a stretch goal every 10,000 or every 5,000. And I just feel like it's more fun to do it every 5,000. And so I'm glad that we went down this path. It just feels more enjoyable. Uh, but uh, we're going to give a giveaway. Uh, everybody who supports the Kickstarter at $100 or higher is going to receive Raven Ranson's book, Clean with Cleaners You Can Eat. And so I worked with her a little bit on this book, and I did write the foreword on the book. Um, and I got to say, <laughs> for those people who, who have already read it, um, I got to I gotta say, like, uh, oh, I just had such a great – I just enjoyed it so much, where she talks about her favorite recipe for um, <laughs> a general cleaner. Oh, you read it! <laughs> Oh yeah, it's like uh it's so like I kind of I'm not sure if I should share it or not cuz it's like giving away the punchline but it's like I I just think that people first of all people use cleaners like I don't know 40 times more than they need to. Yeah. And um and then on top of that they use some sort of toxic gick that leaves a residue behind instead of uh something that's edible. And, and, and there's so much stuff that is, that is utterly edible that you can use for your, for your cleaners. But, um, I, I really love the, okay, I'm going to give it away. I'm just going to give it away. Yeah. You can't, you can't not. <laughs> okay. So here's the general cleaner, the, the, the cleaner, the all purpose cleaner. So I kind of think of like all those ads I saw as a kid when watching television for Formula 409. And so this is, this is what replaces Formula 409. The recipe is warm water and a rag. <laughs> I just love that. So, <clears throat> all right. So everybody who supports, if we hit this stretch goal of $55,000, then everybody who supported the Kickstarter at $100 or higher is going to get a copy of the book. Um, and let's see. Uh, oh, and another thing is, is that uh, this is Raven's uh, second book. Her first book she did a Kickstarter for, huge success, and apparently it is selling like hotcakes long after the Kickstarter is over. <clears throat> Homegrown linen, uh, transforming flaxseed into fiber. And, uh, uh, she's, she's selling gobs of copies of that, and, and it's doing really, really well. And so this Clean with Cleaners You Can Eat is her second book. Uh, and this is all apparently in response to the stuff that I've written about passive income streams. And so uh, now she she doesn't, like with her homegrown linen book, uh, she doesn't need to do anything with it, and money keeps coming in. And I suppose now it's going to be the same for the clean with cleaners you can eat. So um, <clears throat> I see somebody loves her book. Um, I, hey. I don't know. Are you, it's sitting on my shelf right back there. I I'm, I'm, haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Uncle Mud says the book is great. Uh, and he's, he's talking about our book. And he's, oh, okay. Uh, oh, right. And he's, he's provided a link to the ATC. Um, and then somebody mentions uh, vinegar and then water. Yes, water. <laughs> Here's fresh vinegar or a rock. So like you would clean with a, with a rock. I'm not sure what that means. Um, okay. Uh, the next stretch goal is going to be, and so I'm hoping that we're going to hit 55,000. Um, if we can main, if, if, if Sean and I can keep working hard, I hope that we can do that. And of course, people that have been, we've seen a lot of people in the last couple of days raising their pledges. And so, uh, uh, that's been really making a difference too. At $60,000, uh, we'll have a stretch goal, uh, that's, oh, it's where Sean and I will scribble in a copy of your book. Um, so now, <laughs> before the Kickstarter started, I was on a staff meeting with the Permies.com staff, and like five different people were telling me how important it is to offer signed copies of the book. And, and I kind of thought, why would anybody want 
anybody to scribble in their book. It's their book. Don't they want a pristine? I mean, it's just a book. So apparently, and then at you know after half an hour of hearing about this, it's it's apparently it's critically important that authors do this. And I'm new at being an author, so I've I have never sought out signatures for a book. <clears throat> I don't know, unless it's like, um, I think Ianto Evans wrote in one of mine, Dinah Leaf Christian wrote in my copy of her book. Um, I, I kind of cherish that. I kind of like that. But I know them. They're my friends. And I'm glad that they wrote me a little note to prove that they're my friend. <laughs> so um, uh, I got evidence. <laughs> they like me. Yeah. So uh, that's that's cool. Um, but anyway, uh, the so – the other thing is, is that Sean's in Canada and I'm in the United States, so it was kind of like, how are we going to both sign a book? I mean, do we have to ship it twice? Um, so what we've done is we've said, so if we reach this stretch goal of $60,000, Sean is going to drive to my house and then we're going to sign the copies that need to be, that need signing. And I think that in the survey that goes out for the people at the $100 and up level, it'll say, like, what do you want us to mention in your signature? And, you know, kind of a thing. We could do that. I don't know. I'm I'm new to this. I'm making it up. Um, So uh, we'll get together. We'll sign. And then um, a bunch of people have already offered to come and help us uh, stuff books into boxes and stuff. Oh, sweet. And, And so we'll have this little party. And uh, so book signing and box stuffing party at my house. Um, and what we'll do is the same thing we did with, with the last Kickstarter, where we will uh, say, okay, everybody who wants to come, send an email to this special email address. And then the top 20 contributors for that will get an invite to come out here to my place for this party. I'm pretty excited. I, yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I imagine you'll probably hang out for a few days. I mean, you've yeah. come all this way from Canada. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll give see. you the, we'll, we'll give you the red out. cabin. We'll give you the red cabin, you know. Cool. And so, uh, yeah, it'll be nice. Um, $65,000. Everybody that supports the Kickstarter at $100 and up will get a copy of the World Domination Gardening 3 DVD set as a gift code. So if you already have the World Domination Gardening 3 DVD set, and I hope that you do, then uh, you'll get a gift code so you can give a copy to somebody else. If you don't have it, well, then um, you'll get to hear me say fuck a lot while talking about ponds and culture. <laughs> and so uh, that was a crazy story. Um, I was asked to come and teach a workshop. I went and taught it for free. I didn't charge them anything. Um, and uh, when I showed up, there were these two guys with cameras, and they said they were going to do a Kickstarter. And I said, good luck. I hope you get rich. And so I didn't ask for any money. Um, and then, like, months later, somehow it's in my hands. I have. there, And so Diego, who set up the event, said, can you make this into a DVD or something? Okay. <laughs> so we had a Kickstarter for that, and we did that. Um, but everybody will get a copy of, of the three DVD set. Uh, if we hit that stretch goal, uh, and then at seventy thousand, at seventy thousand dollars, if we hit the stretch goal of seventy thousand dollars, which I, just seems like forever away right now, um, uh, everybody at a hundred dollars and up will get a copy of Michael Judd's book, uh, Edible Landscaping with a Permaculture Twist. And uh, I think that book's doing really well on Amazon. It seems like if I search for permaculture on Amazon, I see it there. Yeah, he's doing pretty good. And I, I recall I, I took I haven't again haven't had a chance to read through it, but it's sitting on my reading list. Uh, I paged through it though. He's got a lot of really cool pictures in there. I think that's one of the. Yeah, it's a real photo-heavy book. I've got a, I, uh. It's awesome being me because I get free copies of stuff, and I think he sent this. Um, I'm trying to see if I can see it. Here, you – oh, there it is. Hang on. So it's this book. You know, it's yeah. a fancy, well, fancy the, book. The pod people can't see that. but Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to, to show all of the the lovely pictures – Real quick to people. Oh, 
<clears throat> and he, he also included this lovely card. You know, I'll put it back in here. All right. But everybody's going to get a copy of that. On, and, I, and it's a great book. <clears throat> okay. Now, uh, we're between 70,000 and 100,000. We're still sorting some stuff out. And I got, there's new information about that. But at 100,000, we're going to do the audio book. And so if we get to $100,000, which my all-time uh, uh, best Kickstarter, my all-time most money Kickstarter was $105,000 for uh, Betterwood Heat, DIY Rocket Mass Heaters, uh, that for that second four-DVD set about Rocket Mass Heaters. Um, so if we hit a hundred thousand for this one, which it does seem like we're this this Kickstarter is bringing in more money than any other Kickstarter I've ever done so far, then we're going to make the audiobook. And as part of that, uh, we'll make a new reward level at forty dollars, so people could get just the audiobook. But everybody at a hundred dollars and up will also get a copy of the audiobook. Yeah. Uh, and in case people haven't detected a pattern yet, let me let me. <laughs> Make it clear, yeah, we're trying to really heavily favor people who support the Kickstarter at a hundred dollars or more. Um, uh, mostly because, uh, I mean, I think if somebody supports the Kickstarter at ten bucks, they get a ton of stuff, um, a- including two copies of the ebook. Um, and so that's one for yourself and one to give away. Uh, at a um, hundred dollars. That would be 36 ebooks or 12 physical copies or mix and match. Um, but the, the important thing is, is that that's a person that's going to really give away the books. And that's kind of like really aligned with the, the whole project here. And so I'm really excited for those. Plus, uh, there's also this whole thing like right now, if half the people with pledges under $100 upgraded to $100, uh, we would have blown all these stretch goals out of the water. Yeah, somebody named Lou E in the chat here is saying if it gets to 1,500 backers, which we're just about uh, 40-ish away from, uh, and every person adds $34, we'd be at 100,000. Not saying everyone will, but it's kind of crazy just to do the math and see that kind of thing. So I'm hoping to encourage the current uh, uh, kickbacks or the Kickstarter supporters to um, uh, bump up pledges to a hundred bucks, and I'm I'm hoping to use the stretch goals to encourage that. Yeah. So, and I think we're making that we're going to make that pot so insanely sweet as much as we can through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and we've got a bunch of other stuff coming up, but but that's the other thing too. Big big news uh, uh, since the last podcast we put out is David Pagan Butler uh, sent me an email saying. Throw my book in as a stretch goal. And so his book is called Organic Pools DIY Manual. So, uh, and he's got the DVD out too, that is the natural swimming pools. And we've got a, uh, I think it's a two or three podcast review of his DVD from a few years back. Um, amazing DVD, amazing book. It's all, all good, but everybody, uh, $100. Uh, we'll get a copy of that book if we hit that stretch goal. Uh, and we haven't figured out what the stretch goal thing, like what number it's going to be at. Uh, we'll have to, if I kind of have, have put off any more stretch goal figuring out until we've, uh, at least knocked off, uh, one or two of the, uh, of the current stretch goals. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like instead of talking about, you know, that kind of thing, we should be focusing on like how to get, how to infect more brains with our Kickstarter and get more support work hard on that okay so let's see um but uh we have yet to sort out the five stretch goals between seventy-five thousand and ninety-five thousand. feels a little arrogant <laughs> as if i'm worried about arrogance uh, but it does it feels a little arrogant to think we might have any chance of even getting that far at the same time lots of fun conversations are happening um one of the things that we did is is we had a day where we stopped working. We we made sure to not do anything interesting to kind of see what happened with the Kickstarter and it did pretty much die. It pretty much stopped. Like money stopped coming into the Kickstarter. So kind of as evidence you gotta you gotta keep doing things every day to keep it going. 
and in order so that, you know, we can get to uh, all these awesome stretch goals. <clears throat> all right. Uh, oh, and Eric Wisner has a uh, some new rocket mass heater plans. Uh, apparently, bigger and more detailed and much more information packed than any of her previous plans. So I looked through them, and they were really, really huge and very detailed. So this is a, a massive set of plans. Uh, and she has offered those for stretch goal fodder. And so I'm saying, like, hey, can we get those onto the digital market? We'll make links, and we'll get the, you know this all on rails and things like that. And so that'll be another uh, uh, stretch goal that we hope to offer really soon. <clears throat> uh, another stretch goal that's being hammered out as uh, over the last couple of days is the idea of um, we'll put 200 copies of the book into libraries. And so we've been talking to a guy named Daniel Ray. He is a Montana librarian, and he got us started on the idea. Uh and so we're, uh, if we hit this stretch goal, then we would send 50 copies to Daniel and he'll distribute them throughout, um, apparently all of the libraries in Montana. Some of them, some of them. Okay. A, a certain network of libraries, but. Right. They'll be available because you could do interlibrary loan. Like you might have a teeny tiny branch that won't have that copy on the shelf all the time, but yeah. then you can say, I want that and you can get that. Um, so, but, but anyway, um, uh, we're setting up how we're going to work that and get, you know, 200 copies of the book out there and in, into libraries in, in that fashion. Um, <clears throat> oh, and then it has been super helpful. Just want to publicly thank him for answering my many questions and being patient as I sometimes take months to respond to emails. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Oh, so you, you're saying you do respond to all your emails. <laughs> no. I, I have to let 20 a day go. I, but, it's like, but, he, but he's one of the ones I want to respond to. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Davin Hoyt uh, has been cranking out plans for all sorts of things. Uh, for last year's Kickstarter, his plans for the giant solar food dehydrator were a big hit. Uh, and at least a dozen people said that they raised their pledge level just to get those plans. And this year, when he contacted me, I thought he was going to offer his rocket oven plans or his rolly shelves plans, his JTube rocket plans. But since we have this new gift code stuff, he offered everybody at $100 or higher Four gift codes for the giant solar food dehydrator. So if you already have those from like the last Kickstarter or you bought those plans, that's cool, but you'll get four more that you can give away. And it, and it seems like people love these plans. So <clears throat> that's, uh, um, uh, coming up as, as a, um, as a stretch goal. Okay, there you go. That's the stretch goal report. Kind of thought it'd be fun to slide it into the beginning of this podcast. Um, any, hey, Sean, I can see tons of stuff just buzzing by on uh, the chat thing there. Yeah. Um, and and look, there's something from from Jocelyn. Oh, posted how to change your reward level is here thanks to Sean. Oh, okay, cool. Um, it, it, I I don't know what this is. Now I want to open the thing. <laughs> You don't remember writing that? No. All right. Oh, uh, Justin wrote something. Oh, it says thanks to Sean and you being Sean. I thought that it was to you. Okay. Yeah. Nope. Jocelyn's being really helpful. Thank you. Okay. Um, in fact, here's well, if Jocelyn's here, I can add Jocelyn. Uh, oh, she's now a moderator. There we go. I don't know what she'll do with that. Feel the power. That I came up with. It. Anyways, let's move on. Okay. Uh, gotta thank my Patreon peeps. I've got two Patreon pages, one for podcasts called, uh, patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton, and the other one for the YouTube videos, patreon.com slash PWVids. Uh, for each of those, we shared our secret recording time, venue, and topic way ahead of time. Um, <clears throat> and Jocelyn, uh, got some of the Patreon wonkiness sorted out, and we now have a few names to read off. So for the pod, 
uh, supporters. We've got Dr. Hugh Gill Culture. I think that that will never get old. Uh, and then we've got uh, uh, Suleiman, Carrie, and Sasquatch. That's all in one. And Ivan. Uh, I'm going to try and read uh, Ivan's last name, uh, Borkovak. He is the navigator. Uh, and then at the video ones, it's Carrie Rogers, Kyle Neath, and Mayron Kugler. Thank you to my Patreon peeps. What? Did I read something wrong? Did I screw it up? No, no, it's just funny hearing how different people pronounce different names. Go ahead. I am trying. I'm, I'm making it up. Uh, uh, so, so thanks to my Patreon peeps for making all, so much stuff possible and all work out. This is, this is amazing. All right. It is time. Uh, uh, do we have any questions so far or anything we should reply to? Uh, there are some questions about Wafati stuff, but let's save that for after we've read the Wafati stuff and then, then we can go into some questions. Okay. Any other fun comments about all the things we just read? We've got people from all over the place. Western North Carolina, Sterling, Alaska. I saw someone from the Yukon. Awesome. Just saying that's pretty cool. I bet whoever's in the Yukon, they really love rocket mass eaters. And, <laughs> and Wafatis. Um, okay. <clears throat> Here we go. Chapter 30. A building design that solves almost everything. Oh, there's Western Oregon. Um, I used to live in Western Oregon, and I used to live in Eastern Oregon. I've, I've lived in many parts of Oregon, but never Central Oregon. Never. It's a desert. Okay. Uh, this chapter is not for the faint of heart. This is what I recommend for what I believe to be the ultimate permaculture scenario. I imagine that no one below level four would ever consider actually doing this. And yet I think some people below level four will read this chapter anyways, just to come along for the ride. If you're looking at a building design, you're likely going to be looking for land on which to build it. So before we move on to building design, I wish to take this opportunity to state that, my opinion, a sloped woodland in a colder climate is far superior to all other options. Soil generally builds fastest in a, coil, in a cold climate. And if you live in some place where it's flat, can't control the movement of frost and water on your land. And if you live where there's too little rainfall, you can make it work, but it's going to be far slower. And you won't already have trees to work with. As a bit of bonus luck, the flat land I don't want tends to appeal to conventional farmers, which means the ultimate permaculture land seems like the cheapest land around. <clears throat> At this moment, I want to talk about uh, tropical locations. And so um, I uh, saw a presentation years ago where a guy was uh, showing his slides from uh, Bali. And like, oh, look how beautiful. I think it was Bali. Anyway, it was a tropical place. And it's kind of like, look how beautiful it is. And oh, you could just walk outside and pick this food here and pick this food here. So of course, keep in mind that here in Montana, you could do that too. Uh, it tends to be apples, <laughs> you know, and here's an apricot. But okay, um, setting, setting that aside, he, he was talking about how, uh, all, all year you go out and, and harvest stuff. And so, oh, I think I'm, I'm worried. I, I, had, I found a tick on me the other day, so I'm kind of like here checking for, like, oh, that was a little something. What was that? Was it a tick? It wasn't. So, um, and the tick wasn't lashed. It was, it was starving to death on my bald head. Uh, like, like, <laughs> how, how do I get this to work? It's all bald up here. So, um, but the tick had not latched, so I got him. I got him early enough. Anyway, uh, the presentation was happening in Montana, and this guy happened to live in Montana at the time, and, and he's showing all these beautiful pictures. And then uh, somebody said, well, um, why do you live in Montana? Why don't you live there? And he says, oh, um, it's because every night what you do is you strip off all your clothes, and you're naked, and you hold out your arms like this, and you slowly rotate while your friends pick off all the parasites. No, yeah, I think you were talking about this in the podcast with Zach Weiss. Oh, okay, good. I, 
I think it, I think it's worth uh, saying it again. The, 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 the important thing is, is that man, a cold climate sure is great. Montana is the best, the best. Um, now, uh, as it turns out in Montana, uh, we do have the, the, the ticks, which are parasites. Um, yeah. uh, however, um, uh, we have hardly any at all. Rarely. I mean, like, um, uh, I found one on me this year. I bet all of last year I may have found two on me and I have never in the whole time I've lived here ever had a tick latch onto me. Well, for my entire life, I've never had a tick latch onto me. Um, and so, um, I think we're, you know, the ticks are about the worst of it and, um, they're only for a couple of months in the spring and it's rare to even find one on you. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty smooth ride here in Montana. Um, but that's, that's a, that's a powerful driving force. Uh, somebody's writing that their ticks are the size of bears. That's, that's gotta be hard to walk. I think he's in the, I think, I think he's the one in the Yukon. <laughs> Thought I might come visit someday, but maybe not. <laughs> Change my mind. Um, okay. Uh, moving along. There are many different schools of thought in the world of sustainable building. Unfortunately, in most cases, the environmental footprint is still really big, even for platinum lead. That said, there have been some designs that have come out that are pretty good. But although there are people who would argue otherwise, I'm going to suggest that no single design is suitable for every location. And it turns out that for sloped woodland and a colder climate, these designs all fall short for some reason or other. All right. So we mentioned lead. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I, I'm, you know, and it's got a footnote that goes with it to, to help describe more about what lead is. But I've been in some platinum lead buildings, and it's like, what a lot of cement. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of manufactured stuff, but it's kind of like, uh, I guess, you know, they're trying to meet code. And for a lot of places, it's like, you are hereby required by code to use cement. And and I would really, I really like to get away from cement. Um, yeah. For a, for a bunch of different reasons. And and one of the things we do in PEP is to say, okay, you're going to make your own cement. You only have to make this much, this tiny little amount, but it will give you an idea of why you don't want to use cement. <laughs> and it's like, I think when you get done making it, you're going to realize a, a few important things, uh, one of which is like, wow, that took a long time. Wow, that took a lot of energy to make the cement. But more importantly is the bit of information about how a lot of our industrial waste is being snuck into cement so that way they reduce the expense of properly dumping their industrial waste. So there's a lot of cement that, that is now quite toxic that doesn't need to be. And so the, the same cement from 50 years ago didn't have a bunch of toxic gick hidden inside of it. Mm. <clears throat> so another reason to dodge cement. Uh, not to mention it has a massive, massive carbon footprint. Yeah. Um, after years of researching natural building techniques, I came up with a design for sloped woodland that creates a beautiful living space with an extremely low footprint. Imagine living in something that, from the inside, looks like a log cabin with more light. It doesn't need heat or air conditioning, is three times faster to build, and has about one-fifth of the materials cost. I call it Wafati. And I think that this building design is so good that some people might just move to a sloped woodland in order to embrace it. The intricate details of this design can easily fill a book. We are currently wrapping up some builds and some experiments, and it's now safe to share a few of the details here. All right. The the section title now is setting our design criteria extremely high. Uh, is there anything that's coming up in the chat stuff that we should address at this point? Not yet. Okay. The following are the main criteria I looked for in a natural building design. More than half of the materials come from the property. One hundredth the toxicity 
of a conventional home, a structure that will last at least 50 years, heating efficiency better than passive solar, easy for a first-time builder to build, materials plus labor equals less than a conventional home. A beautiful, luxuriant space to live in. Before we get into the Wofati, let's take a look at some other popular building styles and see how they match up against some of these criteria. Do you want to expand a little bit on why we said a structure that will last at least 50 years as opposed to picking a higher number? I think, uh, huh. why don't you tell me what you have in mind? You're, there's a point you're trying to get to here. I, I think a part of it is like you can make or you can attempt to make something that's going to last forever. And yes. that's cool if you can. But there's a lot of things that some, depending on your situation, it takes a lot of inputs to make something that lasts forever and a lot less inputs to make something that lasts not quite as long but still lasts a long time. And then there's also the thing where um, our building styles have not really innovated very much at all over the last 100 years. Some people would say they have. I think we haven't really innovated at all. It's all kind of the same. You got stick walls and you put stuff in it and then seal it up tight. And if we were to try and set up a situation where we're actually trying to innovate that requires iteration and trying different things. Uh-oh. Did your, did your uh, internet just go down? No, I'm still here. Uh-oh. I'm still here. All right. I think... I I'm, think I'm that, here. Oh, there you are. Hi. Sorry. I don't know what happened. Uh, what did, uh, where did I leave off? Uh, you, I was, I was grooving on the part where you're talking about how it's possible to build something that could last like 500 years. Right. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool, but I think it's also the kind of thing where we might build something and think, oh, this will last a long time. And that's cool. But as we're innovating, we're going to come up with new designs. And so... If we build housing for 400 million people in North America and make it all sustainable, all lasting 500 years now, but then we find out later that, I don't know, maybe the energy inputs are ridiculous or maybe somebody foolishly included something toxic, which obviously we advocate against that. But, you know, um, I think that's one of the problems sometimes is there's so much stuff that we're stuck with because we made it super, super long-lasting in a bad way. Okay. I I think that's an interesting approach. I do think that there are designs that last uh, hundreds of years. Um, I mean, I, I think that there's going to be uh, a lot of uh, uh, temples and other structures yeah. around the world that are like super. 500 to 1,000 years old. Um I think I think that there are a lot of that stuff could be applied. I mean, part of you know the challenge is going to be something that will do well in winter, yeah. um, uh, with frost heaves and the like. Um, and so, I I do kind of think that you know there's going to be improvements, but it's kind of like we need to. I, the other thing is is that. For those structures, though, a lot of times it's like the construction time is going to be three or four times longer. Yeah. And so uh, I I think that those are fun to explore later. But yeah. I kind of feel like I still want to get done doing the annualized thermal inertia tests on Allerton Abbey. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and and shooting for something a lot of 50 years, I, I think sometimes when I look at natural building stuff, people are like, oh, here's this new awesome thing. And I look and it's like, is that going to break down in five years? Like, is is that going to make it? 
So I, I think 50 years is a good benchmark in both ways. Um, I want to read something that's in one of the comments. So Uncle Mud says, the Wafati just made it into Rodney Morgan's master's thesis on the limitations of leads and passive house. Uh, he's my friend who fiddled with your electric tractor last night. Yeah, I remember Rodney. Uh, by the way, the electric tractor only worked for about a minute <laughs> after Rodney left. Um, and it's still, it's, it's currently parked, uh, as we work on other projects. Um, so, all right, let's, uh, are you ready to move along or should yeah, we? Yeah, let's move, let's move along. Okay. Uh, this is a subsection. Uh, we can do better than straw bale designs. A straw bale home is often essentially the same as a conventional home, except the exterior walls are replaced by straw bales covered in plaster. So, um, Mud, if you feel that any of this is a point to make exception to, not only did you have that opportunity months ago to send us comments <laughs> like that, and you did, uh, uh, but you know now's a good time to speak up and and let's uh, let's get into it. But hey, uh, let me say that again: a straw bale home is often Essentially the same as a conventional home, except the exterior walls are replaced by straw bales covered in plaster. Some builders report that it's a bit like building the exterior walls twice, once with wood to hold up the roof and a second time to add the straw bales. Obviously, that'd be for the post and beam style, not the load-bearing ones. Right, but see, hardly anybody builds the load-bearing style. Yeah. You know, and so, um, for reasons. Yeah. So the beauty of straw bale is the insulation. Straw itself is not a particularly good insulator, but a really thick wall of it is. So straw bale homes usually end up much more insulated than conventional homes. This reduces the need to heat the home during the winter. Of course, to stay warm on a really cold day, it helps if you're sealed up inside like being in a Ziploc bag. When paying for the labor, straw bale homes are typically 30% more expensive than conventional homes. Some people host a workshop on their build site to mitigate this expense. The upside is that you're sequestering carbon. The downside is that this building style relies somewhat heavily on the existence of annual grain monocrops, something I'd like to move away from. And unless you live on land that produces straw, you'll have to buy straw and have it moved to you. For people who live in the mountains, that's a long distance for the straw to travel. I wish for something more local. Okay, so there you go. I think in Montana, straw bale is the sweetheart of almost everybody who's in the natural building. And so, um, I think I'm, I, what I'm, by writing this book, uh, in, in so many ways, I'm going to harvest so much hate from so many different people for, and each person's going to have their own reason. And so everybody who loves straw bale, uh, I've now given them the ticket that they need to thoroughly and properly hate me. Right. Well, um, and of course, so you live in the mountains and I live in the middle of the prairies. And so for me, finding straw is like, oh, yeah, just, <laughs> you know, look out your window. Somebody's got straw bales close by. Of course, finding the right ones, you know, challenging, but yeah, yeah it's a bit different, I think. But. So, uh, yeah, no, if, if you're living out in the prairie, in fact, if you're, on 200 acres and it's like, uh, it's just one giant, uh, wheat field. Then, then yeah, you go and you harvest the heat or harvest the wheat. And then, uh, the next week you go and you bale all the straw and put it all up. And there you go. You're all set to, you're all set to ride. Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest point though is the whole thing where it's like talking about, yeah, I don't want to have a giant field of wheat. Right. That, that's not how I want us to grow our food. And so it's like, yeah, we're going to have some for a while, but if we do eventually transition to a world where we don't have giant fields of wheat. The next then- thing is, is, is that n- nearly all of that straw 
and if you live out in the prairies and there's straw available to you, 98% of it is going to be loaded to the gills with persistent herbicides. Yes. And so it's like, what you're thinking like, well, now I've got a natural building and it's not like I'm an herb, so it's not going to kill me. Um, and it's kind of like, well, it's not exactly really good for you either. And okay, well, it's going to be sealed up in cob and it's kind of like, uh, still, so it's like, it probably won't be a problem really. Probably won't. But, but at the same time, if you're trying to live in a natural building, don't you want it to be less toxic? So, uh, yeah, well, it's going to be better than conventional, but not true, true, true. Um, so on the scale, yeah. like if you're going to have a spectrum of, you know, conventional to better, then there's going to be like, you know, I, th- I think that the Wafati is going to rate better on this spectrum than your, I plus agree. the other thing is the straw bale house, it's still got the exact same foundation cement. And the exact same roof, uh, you know, a lot of glue in that roof. Uh, so it's going to be like um, uh, an improvement. Um, well, anyway, it's, it's going to be the same roof and hat and boots is what they say when building uh, uh, natural buildings. You got to have a good hat and boots. Um, but it's, it's there are and there are the designs that are better. So like if you go to um, uh, Cobbville, you're going to find uh, that that they're uh, foundation is going to be rocks and a cob floor, yeah. and their roof is wood, but it's still going to be an EPDM liner on the roof. Yeah. So um, EPDM is a uh, like rubber uh, pond liner. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, still, it's a that's a lot of, uh, and it's not really rubber; it's a petroleum rubbery thing. So uh, when you unpackage it, the the, the smell hits you. It's like, yeah, that's something made from petroleum, all right. Right. <clears throat> okay. All right. Let's uh, keep going. Okay. We can do better than cob designs. Like with straw bale, cob construction generally still has a conventional roof and a foundation. Instead of straw covered in plaster, the walls are made of sand, clay, and a bit of some sort of fiber, often chopped straw. The material costs for a cob, for a cob wall will be lower than for a conventional wall. That said, as much fun as it is to think about building a home from just dirt in your yard, for quality cob, you need a source of clay and good sand. Not just any sand will do. Sometimes you're on land that has clay. So then you just need a few dump truck loads of sand. If you're lucky, you'll have both. So at Cobbville, apparently they don't have sand. So they yeah. have these, you know, so they do have clay. And, and so you take your wheelbarrow out and it's like, there's the clay and you grab it and you bring it over. And then, and then they bring these big dump truck loads of sand in. And then you gotta like, and then they, the cool thing that I really love about Cobbville is that it's like about a hundred yards between the buildings and the parking lot. And so you have to walk a footpath, a small footpath. To get to the buildings. Clearly, everything in Cobbville is built without machinery of any kind. You can't get it there. There's no way to get it there, which I think is one of the most beautiful elements about Cobbville. This is all done by hand. Everything here. Um, But my land, where where I hope to build my homestead, is uh, a ton of sand. It's like there's a little bit of topsoil, and then it's like Ten feet of sand, straight down is what I've been told. So it's like, gonna need some clay if you want to do. <laughs> now the other thing is, is that is the sand a sharp sand, right? Yeah. Or is it like a beach sand? And yeah. so then the beach sand, it's like you're trying to build out of ball bearings. It's all rounded sand. Yeah. Whereas sharp sand, it's like it doesn't. It, it does. It feels sharp. But um, it's going to, it's going to, uh, like when you, with the clay is with the sand, it makes something structurally strong. It holds it all together. So, <clears throat> let's see, mud is is saying things. Uh, Good uh, things. Wafati has benefits even if it only lasts 10 years. 
It was cheap and very low impact, especially if the trees needed to be harvested due to insects or fire. Plus, it's a hookah culture when you're done. <laughs> well, Allerton Abbey is currently five years old. And uh, I think Allerton Abbey, uh, uh, and we're going to talk more about, you know, exciting things with Allerton Abbey that we've discovered. And because it's yeah. the first one we've ever built um, uh, in a little bit. But uh, I, it's based on Ehlers designs. And Ehlers got one up there that I, the last time I saw it before Mike died at the time, I think it was like 45 years old or something like that. Yeah. And it had been unlived in for five or six years. And so, um, it's kind of like, uh, and it's still standing strong. I, I really believe that this design is a very long lasting design. Okay. Um, do, 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 do. The beauty of Cobb is that you can shape it into anything. And it is so easy to do. Cobb homes can be extremely beautiful. But the amount of time to build a Cobb wall is far greater than a conventional wall. If you can supply lots of time, you can build a fantastic It's just as easy to build as Cobb, but faster. All right. Fascinating little tidbit. Um, there is a house in Cobbville that's built to be something that looks really beautiful uh, That uh, by the standards of people outside of Cobbville. So, like, if it was in um, a, a conventional neighborhood in a conventional town, it would be considered an acceptable-looking house. It wasn't really huge. I think it's a one-bedroom place with two stories. But it is a beautiful place. Then, uh, uh, Joss and I visited uh, a Cobb home in the Seattle area, and uh, it was about the same size, slightly different floor plan, but uh, they paid people to build it. So, in the first one in Cobbville, uh, they did not pay people to build it. They built it themselves. And I mm-hmm. think, I think if I remember correctly, and then I'm sure uh, Uncle Mud will... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think that the total materials cost was $10,000 for this two-story, one-bedroom, lovely home. And then the roughly the same equivalent thing up in the Seattle area, built to code, by the way. Uh, the, the build cost for, for one-bedroom home out of Cobb, $300,000. So, yep. yeah, uh, the, 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 if you're going to include in the labor, suddenly it becomes very expensive. All right. Um, this is a good time to point out that there are cob structures that have a more natural than most roof and foundation. And it's a Suffolk cob bill. Uh, a good hat and good boots can be rocks and cob for the floor and timber with EPDM for the roof. The structures by Yonto Evans at Cobb Cottage are a great example. So who's going to tell Yonto that I'm plugging him in my book? <laughs> of course, Yonto never uses the Internet, so he's not going to tell anybody about our Kickstarter. That would That's unfortunate. Maybe he can send out letters. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's possible. <clears throat> the Dirty Secret of Sustainable Building. It seems to me that a lot of sustainable or natural homes use a lot of cement. Sometimes there's a huge slab for the foundation. Sometimes there's a basement. And sometimes it's even part of the walls, such as with cordwood or stone buildings. In my travels, I haven't noticed wild cement lying around, just waiting for that special person to come along and whip it up into a new slab floor. To make cement... You need to heat calcium to a very high temperature for a long time. If you were going to build a cement pad for a home and you were going to make your own cement, you might need a hundred cords of wood. That is a big slice of forest. And that's a lot of carbon in the atmosphere. 
Plus, it would probably take you more than a year to convert that calcium and pull all of the ingredients for the cement and pull together all of the ingredients for the cement. As for the calcium, where did you get that? Do you happen to have a small mountain of seashells at your place? Lastly, it's my feeling, you have a license to have different feelings, that cement tends to take a bit of soul out of a home, whereas the material like cob tends to add a bit of soul to a home. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.